This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. If you would like more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording by Nicholas James Bridgewater. Lesson 4 of the Revelation of Baha'u'llah in a Sequence of Four Lessons. Lesson 4 Proofs of the Revelation of Baha'u'llah. The Bible is threefold in the character of its contents. First, its books of history. Second, its records of laws and ordinances. Third, its books of prophecy. It is with the third division of its contents that we have principally to do in this period of their fulfillment. Let us first turn to its earlier register. In Genesis 15.5, God promised a great posterity to Abraham. Abraham had two sons, his firstborn Ishmael being the son of Hagar, whom the angel of the Lord, Genesis 16.12, declared would be a wild man, and his hand against every man, and every man's hand against him, and that he should dwell in the presence of all his brethren, and, Genesis 17.20, God promised that twelve princes and a great nation should be born from him. With Isaac the second son, a covenant was to be established, Genesis 17.21, which promise was later fulfilled, Genesis 26.3-5. Through the influence of Sarah, Isaac's mother, Ishmael and Hagar became outcasts from their home, and these wanderers turned their footsteps to the wilderness of Paran, where they dwelt, and where Ishmael married an Egyptian wife. It says in Genesis 21.20 that God was with the lad. Both biblical and profane historians coincide in the belief that that great nation promised to Ishmael is that of Arabia, for his descendants people the northern and western parts of that country, and eventually form the chief element of the Arabian nation. See also Genesis 15.18. The history of Abraham's second son, Isaac, who married Rebekah, is well known. He had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Through duplicity, Jacob secured both Esau's birthright and blessing. Yet Isaac bestowed the following benediction upon Esau, as found in Genesis 27.39-40. Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth, and of the dew of heaven from above and by thy sword shalt thou live, and shalt serve thy brother, and it shall come to pass, when thou shalt have the dominion. Revised version break loose, that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. Esau married a daughter of Ishmael, Genesis 28.9, and dwelt in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom, Genesis 36.8. Edom is a portion of northwestern Arabia, and adjoining Syria. In the 17th century, it was overcome by the Arabs, and has since shared the fortunes of Arabia. Its capital was Bosra. The Greek form of Edom is Idumea. The maps identify Mount Seir with Edom. Biblical commentators have repeatedly asserted that Esau also was a thorough Bedouin and son of the desert. Unto Isaac was born Jacob, and unto Jacob was born twelve sons, out of whom were to come not one nation, as promised to Ishmael, but many nations and kings. These sons were the heads of the twelve tribes of Israel. From both Ishmael and Isaac there were, therefore, to be brought forth twelve promised great descendants. From the tribe of Judah, by lineal descent, David the king was born, and later, also by lineal descent, from him 
was born Mathat, who, according to biblical history, was the common grandfather of Joseph and Mary. The genealogical records found in St. Matthew and St. Luke, pertaining to the ancestry of Jesus Christ, are not in harmony, but the three mentioned facts remain uncorrupted. Jesus Christ was to be of the seed of David, and his kinsman according to the flesh, and as such he was recognized, as we find recorded in Romans 1.3. But we find that David has, also, a spiritual significance, for in the 110th Psalm we read a statement made by the king concerning it. And when the Pharisees declared to Jesus in St. Matthew 22nd chapter that Christ was the son of David, Jesus himself makes the following reply, quoting King David's own words from the psalm referred to. How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. David spiritually means the beloved, and is therefore a symbol of divine love. In Genesis 49.10 we have a prophecy of Jacob's, as he blessed his twelve sons. He said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. This has been said to refer to Jesus Christ, but Jesus came out of Judah, and the star of Bethlehem did not abrogate, but perfected the glory of Judah, only a fragment of the people gathered to him. For nineteen hundred years the world has paid homage to the scepter of the Lion of the tribe of Judah. When the days are fulfilled, it will depart. Genesis 49.1 And now Shiloh hath come, and all nations are flowing unto him. Isaiah, as already quoted, accurately locates the place from which this light shall shine unto the world, by the way of the sea, out of the rose garden of Acre. In the second chapter of Daniel, we find that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of an image which is formed of four different metals, the head of gold, the breast and arms of silver, the belly and thighs of brass, the legs of iron, the feet part of iron, and part of clay. Daniel, to whom God gave the interpretation of this dream, explained it as follows. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom at that period was in a condition of strength and power, and this was typified by the head of gold. An inferior condition of the kingdom was to follow, symbolized by the silver, a third one of brass, and bearing extensive rule, a fourth one of iron. It is especially in connection with the end and subdivision of this fourth condition that a certain great event is promised. This age of the kingdom is to be of iron, which will have the power of subjugation and of destruction. It is to be divided into two limbs. At the very end of its existence it will break away into many divisions, and these will be part of iron and part of clay. It is a human kingdom, for they are not to mingle with mankind, but shall not cleave to one another, or amalgamate. For although they are the outgrowth of preceding conditions, yet they are opposed to each other. At this period a stone cut out without hands will smite the image upon his feet, and will destroy every remnant of its present and its former conditions. They are to be as the chaff before the wind, and the stone which destroyed them is to be the kingdom which the God of heaven shall set up, and which shall stand forever. The Mohammedan religion combines church and state, and governs both. It has long been divided into two branches, 
the Shiites of Persia, and the Sunnites of Turkey. In the latter days they have subdivided into many sects, and although they are all one in believing in Muhammad as their prophet, yet they will not intermarry or intermingle with one another. This Muhammadan religion forms the limbs and feet of the image. The Shiites are more spiritual than the Sunnites, and therefore are stronger in the eyes of God. The stone is the everlasting kingdom of Baha'u'llah. God has founded this kingdom. Jesus Christ, in St. Matthew 24.15, warns us that the closing events of his dispensation will come to pass when the abomination of desolation shall be perfected. This refers to the completion of the degradation and scattering of the Jews, which has attained its culmination, and, by the signs of their Torah, they know that their day of desolation has ended, and for them the gates of the kingdom have opened. Muhammad declared himself ten years prior to the establishment of Muhammadan time, which began 622 A.D. Muhammadan and Jewish years are each lunar, and are each 354 days in length. The Jewish year contains six months of 30 days and six months of 29 days. If we turn to Daniel 12.11, we will find the prophecy to which Jesus referred when he gave us the signs of the end of the days, at which time his scepter, as the Judean lawgiver, would depart, and one would appear whose scepter adorned with the jewels of love, peace, and concord would dominate the world. In this eleventh verse of twelfth chapter of Daniel, it speaks of the destruction of the daily sacrifice and the appearance of the abomination of desolation. In 70 AD, Titus conquered Jerusalem, but at that time the daily sacrifice was not really destroyed, for although it was not celebrated in Jerusalem, yet the Jews continued to celebrate it secretly throughout all Syria, and this was never annulled until Mohammedanism invaded Jerusalem and banished the Jews from all Syria. The appearance of Muhammad was the symbolic fulfillment of this prophecy. In these 1,290 days, we have 1,290 lunar years. That lunar time underlies all biblical calculation, is a fact so widely recognized as to require no proof. Ezekiel tells us that the days are appointed us for years, Ezekiel 4.6. If we take these 1,290 lunar years, and multiply by 354 the number of days of the lunar year, we reduce them to lunar days. And then if we take 365, the number of the days of the solar year, and divide this into the lunar days, we will thus reduce them to solar years. But the more rapid and entirely accurate method is to take three years from every hundred, and the years proportionally from the fraction of a hundred, and this result to 622 A.D., when Anohegira, or lunar time, was established, and we have 1873. Now Muhammad declared himself ten years solar time prior to this, and if we subtract ten years from 1873, we find 1863. This is the year in which the deliverer of the earth declared himself to all its peoples, the beginning of that year at Baghdad, and the latter part of the same year at Adrianople. The Bob's declaration took place in 1260 Anno Hegira. He fulfilled Mohammedan prophecy when he declared himself at that time. The Mohammedans in Persia, India, Algeria, Syria, all dreaded this year, as boding no good to them. It was a common remark in Egypt that with that year the spirit of the Arab was gone. Let us examine the times appointed by Jesus Christ 
in the twelfth chapter of Revelation. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the emblem of Persia, and the moon, the emblem of Turkey, under her feet. This is the symbol of the Mohammedan religion. Upon her head is a crown of twelve stars. These are the twelve imams who succeeded Mohammed. Many caliphs succeeded him, but only an occasional one was an imam, or spiritual teacher. Muhammad's nephew Ali married the prophet's daughter Fatima, and thus perpetuated the line. After the departure of the twelfth imam, which Arab theologians state was in 260 AH, a thousand years were to elapse, and then the great imam Mahdi would appear. The Mohammedan dispensation would fall, and God would reign on the earth. Thrice the trumpet would sound. The first trumpet was exactly fulfilled in Anno Hegira 1260, when the Bab arose and declared his wondrous message as the forerunner and herald of one greater than he, the child in Revelation 12th chapter, which was born of the woman, was Muhammad. The wilderness to which the woman flees in the 6th and 14th verses is the spiritual wilderness of Arabia, and all the world, if at all familiar with Oriental history, knows of the marvellous rise of the Mohammedan dispensation, and how for hundreds of years thereafter, in science, arts, and literature, Arabia led the Orient, and Ishmael's twelve princes became entirely fulfilled in the twelve imams. God prepared for that religion a place where it should be nourished, a thousand two hundred and threescore days, i.e. twelve hundred and sixty years. This is lunar time. Reduce it to solar time, as in the twelve hundred and ninety years. The result is twelve hundred and twenty-two years. The Bob declared himself twelve hundred and sixty years, lunar time, Anno Hegira, and the Anno Hegira began 622 AD solar time, and the 622 solar years to 1222 solar years, and the result is 844 solar years. Thus is fulfilled the appointed date in the sixth verse of the twelfth chapter, Revelation. In the fourteenth verse of the same chapter, another date is set. Time, biblically, signifies 360 days, years, two times, 720 days, a half a time, 180 days. Add these all together, and you have again 1260, and this time is the same as the time times and a half appointed in Daniel 12.7. This 360 days is also lunar. Out of a more complicated system of computing time, Meton of Athens, who lived about 400 years before Christ, evolved this clear method. The following is the process by which it is reached. Every 19 years, the moon completes a cycle, its new moon falling on the date of the new moon 19 years previously. It lacks but the very slightest fraction of the complete cycle of 19 years. The square of 19 is 361. As there is this slight fraction, the one year is dropped, making a cycle of 360 years. This cycle is the root and basis of all time reckoning, and underlies all biblical and astronomical calculations. It is the golden cycle of the ancients. Also, Revelation 11.2. Bring these months to lunar years. We have the 1260 lunar years, and in verse 3rd, again, 1260 lunar years. These prophecies refer 
to the Mohammedan dispensation, and the two witnesses were Mohammed and Ali, for no other witnesses arose between the advent of Jesus Christ and the present time. In the book of Daniel, we find another date recorded. Daniel was a state officer in the courts of three successive Babylonish kings. In the reign of Belshazzar, the time when the sanctuary shall be cleansed of the transgression is given in a vision to Daniel, as found in 8th chapter, verse 13 and 14. Twenty-three hundred biblical years are here stated, in round numbers, from this period in Daniel's life to the birth of Jesus Christ, there were five hundred years, and from Jesus Christ's appearance until the beginning of last century, when the Son was born, there were eighteen hundred years, making a total of twenty-three hundred years. There are also various methods, which various Bible students give, by which one arrives at the exact date of 1844 A.D. One of these biblical students, well known to the religious world, and entirely uninformed of these great days, at the time of his writing, places himself on record in a work of his own, and which exhaustively teems with corroboration of the holy import of the revelation of Baha'u'llah by saying that the Bible with unwearying persistency returns to the date of 1844. The year 1844 is one which shall ever make glad the hearts of the people of God, for in that year the Bob, in the splendor of his great mission, declared himself as a messenger, and declared that the one of whom he was but the herald was upon the earth, and would in time manifest himself to his flock. And at the time of that annunciation, the third of this great trinity was born, Abdu'l-Bahá, our master, who dwells in the city of light, by the blue and tideless sea. Well may the hearts of all the universe, seen and unseen, rejoice and sing together, and celebrate this blessed year, about which all prophecy has revolved. Moses prophesied that three religions and four manifestations of God must transpire before the day of God. We find this in Deuteronomy 33.2. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai, and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints, from his right hand went a fiery law for them. Reference to Genesis 27.41 will divest the mind of any confusion in connecting Esau with this prophecy concerning Seir. Sinai refers to Moses and the Mosaic Dispensation, Seir to Jesus Christ and the Christian Dispensation, Mount Paran to Mohammed and the Mohammedan Dispensation, and the fourth is the appearance of Baha'u'llah. Isaiah said that in this day he should be called God, 25.9, also 9.6. Two rules by which we are to be guided in knowing what prophecies belong to the dispensation of Jesus, the Son, and what prophecies belong to the final day of God, the Father, are as follows. Those which predict the degradation of the Jews belong to the day of Jesus Christ and of Muhammad, and those which predict the period of their restoration belongs to Baha'u'llah. The Lord of Hosts is his name. Out of hundreds of proofs, we select a few which give the master, Abdu'l-Bahá, to us as he who is to rebuild Jerusalem. In Daniel 7th chapter, beginning with the ninth verse to the 14th inclusive, we find the following. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. 
thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion, and glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. This is the vision of the Book of Ages, which is unsealed, and the Son receives from the Father an everlasting kingdom and dominion. In Micah, fifth chapter, first four verses, the two appearances of Christ are recorded. He the word which hath gone forth in manifestations throughout the eons of existence is one day to be ruler in Israel, but he gives up the Israelites until she which travaileth hath brought forth. After this the scattered Israelites shall return, and he shall stand and feed the flocks of God in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord is God, and they shall abide, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth, and this man shall be the peace. Now read carefully Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 12 verses, Isaiah chapter 22, from 20th verse to end, Isaiah chapter 30, 26 verse, Isaiah chapter 60, verses 20 and 21, Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 to 8, Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 to 16, Zechariah chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, Zechariah chapter 6, from twelfth verse to end, Hebrews 4, eight, St. John 16.23. The branch, so often spoken of by the Israelitish prophets, has indeed branched from the tree of life. The Father has come with the Son. This is the return of the Lion of the tribe of Judah. This is the return of the Lamb that once was slain. By one suffering death by martyrdom, now he returns on the throne, at the right hand of the Father and he is the sign of the end, the glory of God, and the glory of the Lamb, we are told in Revelation 21st chapter, are to lighten the heavenly city, the spiritual flock of Baha'u'llah. We find in this same chapter that God himself is to be with us, and to dwell among us. It is said that every revelation doubles in progressiveness. In this day, the veil is to be removed from the entire earth. Love, peace, faith, and deeds, and knowledge of our God will be the foundation stones of the kingdom of Shiloh. The reasons for this revelation are as follows. Until today, the sacred books of all religions have been sealed. Today, their seals are broken. Therefore, it is the cycle for teaching, and for bringing every religion into a knowledge of, and concord, with all others. In this day, all the inhabitants of the world will be gathered into one nation. Universal peace will prevail bloodshed and war will cease there will be a general language union and harmony will reach the highest conditions all will be gathered under the tent of peace baha'u'llah is the trainer of the whole universe his teachings are the cause of the life of the worlds the unity and harmony of the creatures the agreement of the people and the universal peace 
Today we stand in the presence of this great revelation, and to decide whether we will have this Christ or not. Man's mere assertion that he believes in God will not save him, for the devils also believe and tremble. Such believers are as wells without water. When the spirit of the infinite manifests in the temple of man, to resist that word, deny it, to persecute it, is as death to the one who attempts these things. In the second epistle of St. John, we are told that at the beginning of the Christian dispensation, many there are in the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. As it was then, so it will be now. Nineteen hundred years ago, many things were blasphemously spoken against God's messenger and son. Thus it will be in the present time. In that day, when Jesus stood before the tribunal of Pilate, in the presence of his accusers, the chains of a common felon bound him. Yet he was the Son of God. Sacred history always repeats itself, and the greater the light, the greater will be made visible the darkness, the greater the truth, the greater the falsehood of the opposer. The more perfect the way unto God, the more terrible the doom of the one for whom the way has been opened, but who walketh not therein, and who is of those who are afar, but unto those who believe, he is precious. End of Lesson 4 End of the Revelation of Baha'u'llah in a sequence of four lessons by Isabella D. Brittingham Recorded by Nicholas James Bridgewater